As Pastor Webster and I have been uh, working our way through this discussion at the beginning of this new year about the character of God, this morning we want to make a slight transition in that discussion. We've been talking about discovering the character of God. We've been trying to point it out in the text, trying to help you see that it's in the text all over the place. If you just keep your eyes open, you'll see it. There, there it is. The character of God is popping up as a revelation of part of what's being told to us in the Bible. In fact, it's the core revelation about the Bible. It's the core information in the Bible. The issue for us, the problem for us, is that we have lost an understanding of the character of God. What happened in the, in, in the, uh, in the garden was that Adam and Eve stopped trusting God. And the, the only way to resolve that problem is to show that he can be trusted. And we mentioned in this, in this process that the best explanation for the character of God is not theology, it's biography. Thank you, That all of us are a part of that testimony, but that Jesus is the ultimate expression of it. That that's why God came in the form of a man, so that we might understand what his character was like, so we might understand who he is. And so as you're looking through the scriptures this new year, as you walk your way through those things that are in the text, we want to just draw your, your attention back to this idea. Start looking for it. Start recognizing that it's there in the Bible. The character of God is revealed in so many different ways. But we told you there were three parts to this series. The first was discovering the character of God, finding the character of God, seeing the character of God. The next part, what we're going to start talking about today is being the character of God, starting to take it on as your own, starting to make it your own, to recognize that in that is a call to, our rep, to replicate it. We are called to be like Jesus. We're called to be like God. And in that likeness, to reflect who he is and become a little part of that biography that, he, that is being revealed, a little part of that biography that helps people understand who God is and helps them know that he can be trusted. Okay. So we're going to start this transition today as we start talking about the character of God. And I just wanted to, uh, to start you in this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. It's interesting to me how many of these... Uh, my, wife and, my wife loves to read and study the Pentateuch, and she's been studying Deuteronomy for a while. Leviticus and Deuteronomy are a couple of her favorites. I know they may not be reading the, reaching the top of your favorite list, but for my wife, they're right up there with her favorite list. And there's a lot of places in Deuteronomy, as Moses recounts that's the story of people's relationship with God, that he comes back to these kinds of reflections. Look at verse 29 of chapter 5. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. And look at the next line. That it might be well with them and with their children forever. What's motivating God to put all these things out for people to think about and to do? What's motivating God to, to put out all these things that he wants for us to align ourselves with? Well, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Remember John 10.10 10 is one of the key verses of our church. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Why is God making this revelation of himself known to us? Why is he coming to us and sharing this information? Why is he giving us lists of information about food for goodness sake? Why is God telling us about all these things in the Bible? Simply, I've come that you might have a better life than you would have if you did it on your own. I've come to give you the information to give you the best possible life while you live on this planet and eternal life eventually. Okay? So as we explore this a little bit, 
I want to go to Exodus chapter 20 for our initial space. If you want to open it up, open your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. You'll find there the the commandments are written. Everyone knows that in Exodus 20, the commandments are written. But do you know that we always skip the first two two verses of the commandments? We always skip the first two verses. First one is very significant, and it says, And God spoke all these words. Understand that the commandments, we always think of that picture of, uh, of Moses with the, the, the tables of stone, and they've been written on by God's hand. We've got Charlton Heston holding those two big pieces of rock, right? And God has written on them with his hand. I mean, that's where the commandments are. Well, they do get written there, but the first time Israel is told about the commandments, they hear them spoken by the voice of God out of the fire, out of the smoke, from the top of the mountain as the mountain quakes. God speaks the commandments to them. But before he tells them the commandments, he tells them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord your God who rescued you. I am the Lord your God who you've been walking along with. I am the one who is in the pillar of fire. I am the one who is in the pillar of cloud. I am the one who keeps descending upon the the, the tent of meeting. I am the God who brings you water and food every day. I am the God who parted the waters for you. I am the God who brought the plagues on Egypt so that they would let you go, send you out. I am that God who rescued you from Egypt, who brought you out of bondage. Now, with that knowledge... We can go forward with the commandments. Now, with that understanding, you shall have no other gods before me. You know why you don't have any other gods? Because there aren't any other gods. Any other gods before me is foolishness. There aren't any other gods. Number two, you should not make for yourself any carved, carved images. How long did this one stick with them? A couple months. Moses is up on the mountain. He's up there for 40 days. When he comes back, what do they have? Golden calf. What does Aaron tell him this golden calf is? Pastor Greg said it last week. What did Aaron tell him this, this golden calf is? This is the God who led you out of Egypt. Ooh. Aaron not a tiptoe with those words around. You should not make for yourself a carved image. Now imagine, this is coming from the voice of God at the top of the mountain where there is thunder and lightning and smoke and a fire. And this is like, Thou shalt not make for yourselves any carved images. Echo, 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 echo through the valley. (laughs) Two months later, golden calf. Are they any different from you and me? Direct revelation from the Word of God comes deep into our heart, and we find ourselves a month or two later struggling with the very same problem, back in the very same hole we were in before, trying to figure out how we got here and how we're getting back out. And God is saying, remember what I told you? Remember our conversation Remember, I, I, I explained to you how to get out of this mess you find yourself in. You should not make for yourself any cars, images, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath. That is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Oh, I said voice. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. Could be louder, though, next time. Blast it out of there. You get the idea, though. He's saying... Don't make any images. Don't bow down to them or serve them. The issue here is that they're going to build these things and they're going to become idols for them. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Again, remind you, this is not cursing. The Bible talks about cursing and says you shouldn't do it, but this isn't what this is about. This is the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to rescue you. You should have no other gods before me. Don't make any images. Don't be foolish. And oh, by the way, don't fake it. 
Don't pretend to be a follower of mine. Don't fake followership. It'll ruin your life. There are no other gods, so have no other gods. Don't make image to, images to the things because you'll, you'll actually think you can manipulate me through those images. Number three, don't fake it. Either be it or don't be it, but don't fake it. Faking it will ruin your experience. You will never be able to reach me if you constantly try to fake it. People who try to behave like they're a believer without giving their heart to Jesus find their life to be miserable and their spiritual life to be vacuous. And then comes a favorite from among the, among the Seventh-day Adventists. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, your manservant, your maidservant, etc., etc., etc. He only gets three commandments out before he says, now let's rest on this one for a minute. Stop for a sec. Let's rest on this one for a minute. The Sabbath commandment to most people is just a cessation from work. But there's so much more here. When you read Hebrews chapter 4 and the Apostle Paul's commentary on the Sabbath, he says the Sabbath is like salvation. When you're truly experiencing Sabbath, it's like experiencing salvation. It brings you peace. It brings you rest. It brings you the opportunity to finally hand over to God the things that have been worrying you, the things you've been trying to do, the world you've been trying to manipulate, and say, it's yours, God. I'll wait here. I'll let you take it. The commandments then begin through a list of things that uh, we like to call the do's and don'ts. Honor your father and your mother. Your days will be long on the land which the Lord has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Let me ask you a question. If you're coveting your neighbor's house, does it change the cosmic structure of heaven? Does God, does God get somehow ruffled, moved out, his blankets get, get uh, disheveled when you don't do the right thing? No. So why is he telling us these things? Well, if you lie, you steal, you covet your neighbor's stuff, you, you steal his wife or, his hus- or her husband, your life on this planet is going to be a mess. It's going to be very difficult for you. And it's not going to be very Abundant. I am the Lord God who brought you, brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you into a space where you can have freedom, where you can have promise, where you can have hope, where you can have grace, where great things can happen to you. Don't mess it up. By worshiping gods that don't exist, by bowing down to things and thinking you can manipulate me through them, by faking your relationship, and oh, by the way, by not resting in me. And then... Messing up all the relationships you have with people around you. We think of the commandments like this. You shall not kill. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father. And we think that somebody is standing there wagging their finger at us, telling us what to do. They're glaring at us and squinting and yelling, Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I would argue that they're not at all like that. That these are the kind words of a father who's drawn his child upon his knee and he said, son, daughter, don't lie to people. It'll mess up your whole life. Honor your parents. Your life will be better and it'll be long in the land. Don't want what someone else has. You'll never be satisfied with what you have. It's about that 
understanding of what walking on the planet abundantly looks like. By the way, there are lots of people who argue that this is a revelation of the character of God. That in these Ten Commands is a revelation of the character of God. If you think of these as wagging finger pictures, what kind of character do you think God has? He's angry, he's mad, and he's not going to take it anymore. But if he's drawn you up on his knee, and he said, here's the deal, guys. Now, you might argue, well, there's thunder and there's lightning and there's fire and there's smoke and he's talking off the top of this mountain with this huge voice that's probably echoing across the canyon. True, 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 true. Yeah, three, maybe, well, depends on who you argue with, who the scholar is. Some say a million, some say three to four million. It's an estimate, but there's a bunch of people there. These people for 400 years have lived in a pagan world where everything they do is about manipulating the heavens. They're more pagan than they are Israeli. And this is big spectacle to try to get their attention, get them to take this seriously. You ever had to take your child? Sit them down in a chair? Okay, now sit there and listen. We need to talk. Are you doing that? so that your life is better? Usually doing that so that their life is better. My son was 14 years old. I kept telling, son, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. You know what my son said to me? You just want me to do my homework because you think it's going to be better for you. I'm still baffled by that. But isn't that what we do when we look up into the heavens and say, you just want me to keep the commandments because it's going to be better for you. Isn't that just as confusing? Just as bizarre? Or worse, we say, you just want me to keep the commandments so that you can like me because I'm not very likable the way I am. And God says, no, I gave you the commandments because I like you. Otherwise, I just let you guys kill each other off. This thing would be a lot easier on me if I just let you do that. I want to make a little, uh, a little transition to some New Testament things. In John 13, 35, one of the last days of Jesus' life, he's in fact recounting that. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, I new commandment I give to you. He said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the planet. I'm gone. I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. You guys don't understand that, but that's what's about to happen. Here's what I need to do before I leave. Last words before I leave. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, look, I'm giving you a commandment. One of the last things I'm going to say to you before I leave, you need to figure this out. Love one another. Let me ask you a question. If you loved one another, would that take care of the second half of the commandments? Lying, stealing, cheating, murdering, coveting. Is it really all that new? Or is he just putting an emphasis for the disciples' understanding? So I want you to stop for a sec. We're going to do something unusual. I want to ask you to talk in church. Okay? 
I know for some of you it's not that unusual. (laughs) But I want you to turn to two or three people in your row, and I want you to see if you can explain how the commandments reveal the character of God. Just quickly. Go ahead. Just a couple of people in your row. Grab some people, maybe the people you came with. Talk to each other. You too, Neil. Yeah, you can change rows if you need to. Braden, you can answer this question. You can read it. Someone talk to Jean. She's sitting by herself. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 529, this is what it said. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that, I, that it might be well with them and their children forever. I wish that they would have the kind of heart in them that would allow them to keep my commandments, to follow me, to trust me, to, to do what I've asked them to do. Why? So that their life would be better, so that their children's lives would be better, so that they might, it might go well with them, that everything might go well with them forever. You shall walk, verse, verse five, chapter 5, verse 30, 33, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that you shall possess. What is God saying? I want you to do all the stuff I'm giving you to do so that your life would be better, so that your life would be better, so that your life would be better, so that your life would be better. Not so that something is cosmically changed in the heavens, but so that your life on this little planet, this little blue speck in the universe, would be better. Your life. You're not manipulating the heavens by this. Don't take two tables of stone and bow down in front of them in some attempt to manipulate the way God feels about you. He gave them to you because He loves you. He gave them to you as a revelation of what He wants for you and for me. Your life will be better. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. Remember this passage? Lots of folks know this idea. Lots of folks quote this idea. This is speaking of the person who's following God, and it says, His delight will be in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, do you meditate on this? No, that's just irritating. You get irritated by something like this, but you don't meditate on this. Nobody sits at home going, I want to think of somebody wagging their finger at me. 
that the one who is committed to God, the one who surrendered to God, the one whose life is in line with God, David himself meditates on God's law day and night. Then this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. He shall be like a tree planted, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season. When my wife was a, a little girl, her dad had a friend. His name was Bob. And they would, uh, they would go to Bob's ranch once in a while. And they would have a picnic, have lunch. If it was warm, they'd be outside. And Bob was kind of a, kind of a kid scammer. You know how some people who mess with your kids when they, you come over, they have like plans to mess with your kids when they come over? They're going to mess with their heads. When, I was, when my kids were little, um, Pastor Spiegel, you know, my friend Mike, used to tell my kids when he'd see a dog, look, kitty cat, meow, meow, meow. When he'd see a horse, he'd go, look, cow, moo. So why are you trying to confuse a little kid? Because he's that kind of guy. Likes to mess with people. That's Bob. So one day when they, he knew they were coming, Bob had a plan. He took a couple of watermelons. He put them on ice. So you know Bob's plan started the day or night before. He put these watermelons on ice. Got them nice and cold. He took them out under a, uh, a weeping tree. Oh, I wish I could remember the name of the tree right now. No, it wasn't willow. It was like a weeping mulberry. And this tree was weeping all the way to the ground. Okay? He drilled a little hole in the end of the watermelon where the stem would be. And he stuck one of those weeping limbs into the watermelon. (laughs) And he had these two watermelons laying on the grass under the tree. When Brenda and her two sisters arrived, he said, hey, you guys like watermelon? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I have a watermelon tree. (laughs) What? I have a watermelon tree. You want to see my watermelon tree? There's no watermelon tree. Yes, there is. I'll show you. So he took them out and he, he, he you know, pretended like he was you know, looking under the tree for these watermelons. He knew that they'll grow right under the tree. They'll be in the grass. Be careful. Don't step on them. And then he goes, oh, there's one. And they went over to the, to the watermelon. And sure enough, there was a limb of this tree growing, sticking right in the end of the watermelon. And they said, look around. There's probably another one here. They never just have one. There's probably at least two of them on this tree. It's a pretty good-sized tree. And they said, oh, look, there's another one. And sure enough. There was a limb from that tree sticking in the end of that watermelon. It's a watermelon tree. Weird sounding story, right? That's what it's like when you try to make your own fruit. You mess the thing up. It's like going along trying to glue fruit on a tree somewhere. Oh, yeah, I want a cherry tree, so I'm going to go out in my backyard and I'm going to glue cherries on my tree. How's that going to work? How's it going to work for the cherry? Is the fruit going to last? No. 
He who delights in the Lord and meditates on his law day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who brings forth fruit when? In its season. In its season. Clarissa Sproul, remember I told you about Clarissa and her, her sermon on the speed of the farm. Things happen in your spiritual life at the speed of the farm. The fruit comes when the fruit needs to come. The fruit comes out on you naturally. What, you, what are you doing? You're delighting yourself in the ways of the Lord. You're spending your time focusing on God. And the fruit of God's presence begins to come out in your life naturally. Not like watermelons on a mulberry tree. But the fruit that God intended for your life. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. He's just talked about the fruit of the flesh. He's just talked about dedicating yourself to following God, allowing God's Spirit to be the motivating force in your life. When the Spirit dwells inside of you, this comes out. At the speed of the farm, in due season. Ever tried to make yourself kind? You can fake kind. But faking kind doesn't make you kind. It makes you kind of a salesman. You kind of pitch kindness at somebody. Yes, um, I'm going to be very nice and very kind to you today. Tomorrow I'm going to be angry, but today I'm going to be kind. This is the natural outgrowth of the indwelling spirit of God. The natural outgrowth of the indwelling spirit of God. The fruit of a life live under the direction of the indwelling spirit of the very same God who said, Thou shalt not kill. You shouldn't covet. I'm the only God. Don't have any other gods. Don't make idols of things. You'll end up thinking you can manipulate me with them. Don't fake your relationship with me. Just rest in me. Here's the interesting thing about this fruit business. Paul divides it up into three sets of three. Love, joy, peace. Those come from knowledge of God's love, mercy, and grace. Right? Those are the natural outcomes of a life that has discovered God's love and mercy and grace. Think about it for a sec. The spiritual walk, the spiritual life, where you haven't yet figured out that God actually cares about you and loves you, the spiritual life where you haven't figured that piece out, is it merciful or is it joyous and peaceful? Does love just naturally come out of that life? No. Because you're busy trying really hard to glue cherries on a tree. You're busy trying to really hard to glue watermelons on a tree. You're busy really hard trying to fake it. Which, by the way, third commandment, don't fake it. When you're busy trying to be something you're not, you of all people know in your heart that it's not working. And it's a miserable existence. It's a difficult existence. Now, I think if you, even if you, if you had no commitment to God and you tried to align yourself with the, with the commandments, your life would be better. I mean, they're the guidance of God. Of course your life would be better. But these first three, love, joy, peace, these are the things that come out of a connection with God. The second two, second set, patience, kindness, goodness. 
They're the outgrowth of that understanding towards others. This is the overflow of grace and mercy. The overflow of grace and mercy is, I edit, I get it, I understand it, I get it for myself. What's the overflow of that? I can give to somebody else. I can be patient with somebody who is being difficult. Why? Because I can sit back, put a smile on my face and say, God is still on his throne. You're an idiot, but God's on his throne. And I'll wait. Okay, maybe you don't throw you're an idiot in there, but you know what I'm trying to say. Maybe you do. The point is, this is the outflow of the prior connection. You understand God's love and grace and mercy, and so you begin to be more peaceful. You begin to be more joyous. Love becomes a natural response, and out of that comes patience with people, kindness toward people, goodness that's real. The grace of God that has been poured into you begins to outflow, begins to become a part of other people's experience as they interact with you. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, that's how everybody's going to know you're my disciples, this is what he had in mind. When the Spirit is fully inside your life, you understand who God is, that He cares for you, He loves you, He's merciful towards you, that His mercies were renewed this morning. We know it's true because we were not consumed. When that is solidly in your life and in your heart, then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And then, the last piece, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you understand who God is, what His character is like, that He loves you, He cares for you, He's merciful towards you. When you understand that, you settle into His love, joy, peace like you settle into the Sabbath. You settle into it, letting God run the world. Stop trying to manipulate things. Stop trying to control things. Letting God run the world. Patience, kindness, goodness start to bear fruit in your life. And then a change hits your head. We start this thing backwards. We start everything in the head. We try to figure things out up here. The reality is when it hits here, slowly it grows, slowly it starts to change, and a change hits your head. When that change hits your head, you become more faithful toward God. You become more gentle in your world. You become more self-controlled. You see, we take the list backwards. We try by self-control to get gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, patience, peace, joy, and love. And we get the whole thing backwards. Fall in love with God. Embrace the love He has for you. Recognize He is dramatically crazy about you. And all these parts flowing through that filter, flowing through that lens, begin to make a change in who you are. Now the indwelling spirit is not a threat to your fun. He's a host to your joy. Let's pray. Thank you, Father.